One, two, one, two. What's up, y'all? This is D Styles, and you're listening to the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Pod, pod, pod. Stony Island Audio. And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar An argument ensued about who the goats are The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod Now fans worldwide say Not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap pod One Two one, two, live from san jose california it is the dad bod rap pod i am one third of your host demon carter aka dim one i am joined by the podcast johnny cash david ma what's going on hello no i was gonna do a johnny cash impression kill the man in sofa just to watch him die (laughs) i walk the line every day um Yo, really good to be here, you guys. Um, yeah, we're just braving this crazy um, storm. So, um, you know, it's trying, just trying to stay dry here. How are you guys doing? Man, um, living the dream. It, it's all fun and games till your socks get wet. Um, I want to pass it on to my man's Nate LeBlanc, Hardigan and the Cardigan. What's happening? <laughs> I'm good. Um, yeah, it's supposed to stop raining. Um it's going to rain on Wednesday. It's like 30% on Wednesday, but it will be dry and sunny tomorrow, which I think we're all really oh. looking forward to. And like nothing yeah. bad happened to me. Like some very lovely folks like reached out. They're like, I'm seeing national news flooding. Like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm totally fine. I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, I am totally fine. And like any, any, you know, interaction with the rain was voluntary um there were some harrowing driving moments but other than that and we really shouldn't be out there anyway but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do but anyway i'm glad it's kind of wrapping up there's snowpack that should keep us out of extreme drought conditions for a little while and the reservoirs are full and let's get back to get back to our normal life which i it was definitely taking for granted how it never rained yeah yeah it's really odd for us when i see running water and in creeks and streams, which is probably a bad commentary on, on the last no, 20 years. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, hanging in there um, have not been flooded yet. Shout out to all my Santa Cruz peeps. It's been kind of weird down there. Um, for real. Hope everybody's safe. Uh, shout out to Boldy James. Love light Ooh. prayers for Boldy James, who was in a, in a terrible car accident. Um, 
yeah, kind of real harrowing news that came out around that. But um, yeah, you know, it's the Dad Bod Rap Pod. We're back for another week. We got a dope interview on the other side of this segment. But guys, I was uh, I was at my girlfriend's house as I am want to be, and um, all at once I kind of realized that there's just a level of I don't know adornment. Uh, uh, a level of decor, a level of thought and care that um, a lot of women put into their living spaces as juxtaposed with male living spaces. Did, you guys never lived together, did you? No. Uh, <laughs> Dave would hang out a lot at my house that I had with my friends, but he, he never lived there. On on 12th, this yeah. was... Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, which I, which I visited a couple of times. Yep. Um, yeah, and it got me kind of thinking like, what are what constitutes a real an actual bachelor pad like Nate let me let me throw this to you and back in the day because I know you're you're a decent married man now but before that uh throw pillows did you ever have actual throw pillows like oh my, dude when I was I was like feral before I met my wife I didn't <laughs> when we met I didn't have sheets I was sleeping on on a, blankets on a like polyester like fleece blanket my grandma gave me for christmas in like seventh grade and i had done away with sheets altogether i wouldn't cover myself with anything i would basically just pass out on top of a blanket and that was how i was sleeping my, my most bachelor paddish story is there was one point where my dad would come and pick me up and take me to breakfast sometimes, and I wasn't awake yet when he came over, which was a fairly common occurrence. He's a very early riser, um, and he came in my like he he came in the house. I don't know who let him in the house, and he came into my room, which was right in the front. And I had so many records that it, there was just a path from the door of my room with a little L to it to the bed, <laughs> and there were records covering every other part of the ground. And he's like. I'm, we're not going to breakfast. I'm going to go buy you a shelf. And he, <laughs> he went to Ikea without me because he was like disgusted by me and like bought me a, my first expedite, a five by five expedite. And we put it together, oh, that's hilarious. put it up on the wall. And then I had a floor. So that's how much I was designing. <laughs> we were pretty fucking far from throw pillows, dude. <laughs> Right? Like, shit like that that wouldn't even occur to you uh, to have. Uh, Dave, you, you know, I've, I've been to your, your current pad, and I'm like, wow, you have, like, I think he has, like, bed sheets and shit. Dave's like, <laughs> a fully functioning adult. I was, you know, wh when was this? This is, uh, I don't know how long ago. Oh, Many man. years ago. Decades ago. <laughs> Dave, when did, when did you first leave home? Was that for college? Would I didn't like know. I didn't leave home till I was way later, till like I was like late twenties, early thirties. Um, it's very much like a Vietnamese thing to be like, "Why are you fucking moving yeah. out and paying rent?" You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So I was very, so I had to like. It took me a while to break the umbilical cord, but um, yeah, I, um, I as you've been, you've been in my place, so it's a bachelor paddish um, as we speak. I was in a relationship, a long relationship for a minute, and then got out of that one, got into another one for about a year, and now I'm single and feral strawberry again so <laughs> i uh that was demon's joke from a year ago anyway. yes, um, yes. 
but still. But anyways, I, uh, you know, I do my best to keep my place clean. I think um, uh, just, you know, projecting an air of um, hygiene is probably the biggest thing. You know, I, I I have women, I have women over now and, you know, we'll kick in and things go well. I'm like, you know, what, what are your first impressions? Is is my place? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And I just don't want to come off juvenile. Like I got records everywhere and have paintings that aren't hung and things like that. So it is constantly on my mind. I don't remember what the original question was. No, no, no. Uh, (laughs) Dave just just went on a self-help thing for me. He's like, I'm looking at records and things that aren't hung and like... Yeah, you're uh, you're, uh, now locally famous for not having any stuff in your apartment. As has been written about in in local in local alt weeklies, um, which hilarious. honestly, yes, which honestly has been a source of um, you know I'm trying to get my shit together over on this end, but I have resisted it. I have a girlfriend; she has a place. I have my own place, and like she comes over and goes, "What if we did this over here?" And I'm always like, "No, I will yeah. decorate." Right? <laughs> you will not decorate my. Then I don't do anything. Yeah, and then no, I just have. My, my mm. wife has a very developed sensibility about how the house should look, and I have opinions on everything, but I don't have a lot of gear to attribute. Like, right? We don't have any music stuff in the front. Like, that's like right. it's all for the record room. We talked at one point. I got out all my posters, unrolled them, learned that you should not store things with rubber bands. They melt mm-hmm. and like get all weird on mm-hmm. posters and stuff. I had some like really cool gig posters, like a cute eggshell like robin's egg blue camera obscura poster and i'm like eh? mm. she's like no yeah, no because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's refinement you know what i mean yeah it's i like, mean that's for me that would have been like the you know that's that's a living room style thing you don't right. even know it's a band poster necessarily it's just some cute drawing but anyway um yeah we uh you know what's funny is and i don't know how you guys feel about this for many years i was like oh they make those record frame things i'll just put some yeah. record covers frames on a some wall frames and now i have art and like yeah. i do like record art a lot but i don't do that anymore i kind of stopped doing that and like put the records back together do you guys hang up framed records as part of your aesthetic deal i, I, I can't to. hang anything but that's all i'll have to <laughs> <laughs> you can't I hang to, bro you know if you if you come to my place, I mean, as both of you guys have, it's like very music oriented and stuff. Yeah, and records everywhere, and I just don't want to add like, I don't want to play the motif out. You know, like here's a room yeah. full of records, and uh, here's a hallway full of record covers. Right, know? right, right. Totally. So, yeah. Right. No, I, I, uh, part of me is always fighting this urge against like I don't want to adorn my place as if I am a 22 year old bachelor because i'm not anymore right right um but then i have settled on no aesthetic which is just a real commentary on my life <laughs> right uh, we, we've I, never I, decided on an aesthetic for our bedroom and we've gone through a bunch of different ones there's like this like cloth like these often like block printed cloth things that are like a japanese style of wrapping paper and we had one of those up for a while and like you know I'm, i've been thinking recently about getting those like led lights that young people have yeah yeah, yeah. and like doing like a kind of like a cosmic lighting scheme kind of thing and we just can't decide like we don't spend a lot of time in there which we hang out in other parts of the house we're basically just in there to sleep but like i do think your your main room where you sleep should also have an aesthetic you know what i mean it can't just be uh functional that i don't know right, so right. we're, we're thinking about that. No, <laughs> <laughs> man led lights in the bedroom 
Kinky Maybe. LeBlanc? I know. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was like, would we hang out in there more if it was like trippy lighting? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, go, go, for real. Go, you don't just go in to go to sleep. You like go, we'd like chill in there. But it's funny that we're even talking about this because right off screen here, I have like what could be described as a very janky tower of old record boxes. <laughs> like just like so many old, I cannot throw away a mailer. I'm like, I'll reuse it. Right. I'll reuse right. it. Every right. ma- every record I've ever ordered's mailer and the insert things, which are actually very valuable to me for resending records, are just in like this fucking leaning tower of stank ass cardboard right now, <laughs> like right here. <laughs> and I've been thinking about, you know, I I first is my first time having a record room or even thinking about like, oh, I can put up some of my hip hop stuff. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, it's not my wife's domain. I'm kind of I can do it how I want to do it, and then I did it. I think I had guests over like two months after I moved in and they were going to sleep in here. And then that was the last time I thought about it. And that's, uh, that's, that's it. Well, that would be a dope guest room. Sleep at Nate's for Airbnb for like $200. You get to sleep in Nate's room (laughs) and he explains every mattress and each person (laughs) can be within arm's reach of different genres of records. (laughs) uh, For your next Airbnb experience. Um, all right, fellas, uh, this is not just a men's lifestyle uh, GQ episode. We also talk about the musics. Um, we got a dope guest coming up really soon. D-Styles, you know it. You clicked it. Um, one of the best scratch DJs that ever lived. And it got I me would thinking say of- the best. I didn't want – he was so humble and normal. I didn't want to, like, yeah. really Put lay that it on him. thick. But, like, I mean – yeah. I feel like for normal people, it would be Qbert, and for heads, yeah. it's D Styles, and that's kind of your only two choices. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't follow it in the way that I used to, so I don't want to kind of be like, right? That is this guy like a that's like Rakim is the best? Yeah, yeah. Rakim is the best guy ever because that's when I, I took out of it. Um, but I do think um, he is, you know, name name the great rock guitarist. He is that for scratching, right? right. Like he's. He kind of elevated the form and brought a musicality and a, a different feel to scratching. Um, and scratching has come a long, long way, um, especially scratches on record, which uh, when I first threw out this prompt, Nate was like, oh, it's the DJ premiere memorial hour, your favorite scratch <laughs> choruses. Um, uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Nate. When you think about dopest scratch choruses, where, where does your mind go? Yeah, the, there's a ton. And Primo probably occupies like 90% of this, but the one that immediately came to mind um, and just, it, it helps that it's a really good song and a really springy beat, but like just the way that the chorus is composed gives you a lot of information and that's uh, Mathematics by Most Def. You wanna know how to rhyme, you better learn how to add, it's Mathematics. Mighty Most Def. It's simple mathematics, check it out. I'll evolve around science. What are we talking about here? Mighty most deaf. It's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll evolve around science. What are we talking about here? Primo doing Primo at the height of Primo's powers when all of the underground was trying to sound like Primo. Primo did Primo. And it was primo you know what i mean it's just, like, it's just like it's just ill i don't know it's just clean uh, and tells a little story and like if you know he's just he's just the best yeah he, he is the best but 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 why nate 
Why, but, why, why do Primo scratch courses stand out above the rest? Yeah, it, well, he, I'll say this: like he's he's not gonna win any IFCs or anything. Like it's right, not right. about it's not about having the named scratches or like how many clicks of the fader or whatever. It's it's musical, and it's just about um, you know grabbing things from different places, which gives you this sense the record a sense of historicity it's like mm. take it, taking things from you know different places different times people have said the rapper's name or parts of the it's it's what gives the song uh momentum it's like yes. it doesn't it's not a boring way to spend the chorus dave and i are really big on instrumental choruses we don't like when people just re- repeat phrases Obli- over and over again yeah. yeah and just do or like or if you can't sing don't sing like right. so primo came up with a way to keep it super hardcore hip-hop and nobody's singing and nobody's fucking just repeating a bar phrase like several times it's just like right. it's just a it, it moves things along it's brisk it's a show of skill it's a show of knowledge of what to draw from and it's like a really like telling the story with your hands kind of a thing that i think is a bit of a lost art though I'm sure there's people still doing like primo style things or he's doing them on new songs himself. And like, I'm also kind of not checking for that at the moment. I'm feeling a little bit more experimental stuff or or thinking stuff, but for a time there's probably a good like eight years where it's just like, yeah, that's the way to do a hip hop chorus. And it really is hip hop solidified itself. Yeah. Primo is actually the gold standard in this category. Dave, what it what came to your mind uh fave scratch courses which you called for last week on this program <laughs> and we responded dave we're, we're here <laughs> well i'm glad you guys brought up primo obviously because um what i picked was well, and it's not just the chorus he kind of scratches throughout the whole thing which is dj premier and deep concentration <laughs> Here's a little story that must be told. Here's a little story that must, 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 is just 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 epic to me but um to nate's point i mean he has a way of keeping it like mad hip-hop but like his scratches are earworms you know i find myself mumbling the fucking scratch over and over to myself and i'm not like i'm not mumbling like some crazy hubert wizardry to myself you know what i mean so there's a certain there's a certain like um digestible um nature to uh primo's um scratching and um, yeah, man, um, that would be it. But there's so many that originally came to mind. I really like Kid Koala on Deltron, especially the, the instrumental yeah. versions. Yeah, oh, that's a good one. He, he scratches in key, so they're just like little blips and harmonic like blurps. And um, he scratches on, on a song called Mastermind, where they're talking about uh, Automator's prowess. He scratches D-E-L over and over and just chops mm. it to bits in, in ways that blows my mind because it's like you're dealing with like 
millimeters of wax. Like, how are you even right. doing this so, so precisely and surgically? So, um, yeah, those are the first two that came to mind. But, I mean, DJ Premier all day in terms of scratch courses. Um, just, again, like I said, like, they, they stick in my head. You know what I mean? I, I listen to a gangstar record, and I'm, I'm doing the choruses in my head over and over, sometimes more so than a guru verse. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. Earworm, I think, is the perfect way of uh, of thinking about these things, and it's something that's uniquely hip hop. This idea of like snatching pieces of other things and moving them back and forward in in weird and catchy ways. Um, and so, yes, definitely premiere the 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 god of that. I thought about um, maybe the the gen the generation just after that that were kind of responding to premiere, and I always think about. Mm. Uh, DJ Babu on Dilated People's Worst Comes to Worst. Y'all, some people got good friends at night. I live my life right. Intense. On the edge, on the Y. I'm from the yeah. big uh, um, Good one, good one. Yeah, it kind of incorporates some of the innovations of the time in a way that worked on a rap record. So there was a lot happening in the scratch world, and and I lived in a DJ encampment for some time, so I know way more about it than I even want to. But um, the techniques and things that were coming out of the turntablism movement didn't always have a great place on a record. It's like you know you can't rap on wave twisters for a reason. It's a different type of thing. But um, I thought Babu translated some of the the dope scratches and how you manipulate uh, a voice. Definitely inspired by Primo, but super hard. Yeah, um, that that really is a good one for bringing it forward a generation. I, I like that pick. Um, on that note, not exactly the same thing, and they're not really scratch choruses per se. I've always really admired what uh, Mr. Sinister did on commons resurrection album um it's like it's just really clean really musical scratching that like it's hard to imagine the album without and it's that's like a you know it's no id and um common and mrs sinister and there's something to be said for um that same the same thing uh, dave was talking about with kid koala automator dell or you know qbert automator cool keith like there's a lot of a lot of good records have been made when really talented people all kind of interweave their various stylings there's something special about that absolutely it makes me think a, a little bit about Mixmaster mike's little jaunt with the beastie boys like you I know mean, the... he brought a lot to their live show dude i went to right. um the arena uh oakland arena i think at the time uh show and isp opened for the beasties mm. and so they did their th- and it was like the sound could not have been worse it sounded like insane thunder like it was just like <laughs> no one could tell what they were doing up there we're in the like nosebleeds but um yeah i think often about um that jolt of energy and they had dj hurricane before that they always yeah. had a dj and yeah. but Mixmaster mike being so skilled and like doing like a lot of that live remixing and yeah. it's it's there there is great scratching and the way they you know getting like a tribute song made about you is like probably pretty yeah. pretty tight um but the way he would even surprise them uh yeah. with some of the stuff he was doing in the live show was like it just really made that kind of last gasp of the really creative era of the bc boys super fun and responded to 
um, that the moment that was happening in time that didn't feel corny to me. And I was a big turntablism head and yeah, it, it didn't totally make sense at first. But once you heard the record and especially saw the live show, you're like, ah, this is actually like totally working. Yeah, super, super, super dope. Um, let us know what your favorite uh, scratch courses are. You can always hit us up at Dead Bod Rap Pod on Twitter and on Instagram at Dead Bod Rap Pod. But let's let's get into it. We have one of the greatest of all times, maybe the greatest scratch DJ of all time, uh, D Styles on the program. He is super humble, but just remember the whole time that like he's actually the best. So in some ways, I'm I'm not sure if he's flexing or it's like, but he is a really humble dude. So I appreciate him uh, coming on and, and sharing a little bit with us. So let's get into it. This is our interview with the Styles Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dead Bod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who have moved and shaped hip hop culture. This week is no different. We have Invisible Scratch Pickle, Beat Junkie, one of the dopest DJs to ever touch a fader. D Styles, what's happening, man? What's going on, fellas? How you guys doing? Man, living the dream, bro. It's it's good to have you on the program. Uh, I didn't mention D Styles is the the homie, also a San Jose legend, uh, as it were. Uh, how are things? It's 2023, man. How you're you're still in the game. How's it going? And yeah, man. Uh everything is good. Um, you know, I'm I'm still here and I'm I'm still, you know, I'm still trying. My um like I still got some some things to get off my chest musically. Okay. So I'm I'm okay. just glad to still be here, man. Yeah, and you definitely you were you're active this uh this last year and you got some projects coming up, but talk to me about the first time you got exposed to scratching like when was the first time you actually were able to put your hands on the turntable and perform the motion and like where were you at what was that equipment like take us back to the the year zero of your of your scratch career yeah and it was um mid 80s um you know hip-hop breaking basically came to san jose i was in junior high middle school and uh yeah i was in sixth grade and um <clears throat> I had some older friends, seventh graders, eighth graders that that were actually DJing, and um, and so they got me hip to to what 
what scratching was. So I learned to scratch first. Um, I, I okay. I like I like fell in love with it right off the bat, and then um and then I got into mixing and you know okay house parties and all that type of stuff. But yes, scratching was always my uh, my first love right there. Right on, man. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I mean, you you've been doing it for so long. I mean, you guys are such pioneers of the game. But you know, by the around the time you came up, I mean, this was obviously pre-internet era and people were exchanging VHSs and stuff. I kind of want to know who were your DJ heroes growing up? You and sort of the crew. Like who who did you guys look up to to you know in order to build upon that? Yeah, I mean, you know, locally, one of the first dudes that I saw really feel it and like cut it up was was uh peanut butter wolf Dang. Uh, you know, um so we went to the same junior high uh and i was you know he's he's a little bit older than me so i was uh real close with his sister and so um you know like you know after school we would go to uh, her house and like you know just hang out you know you know with a bunch of friends and all that and so i used to go through his records and just you know he because he wasn't home and you know i, I would just go through his records and kind of see what he was uh collecting um but yeah he was one of the first dudes that i saw actually cut it up um and then start to produce you know working with like charisma um and so he was always that that dude that i was like man i i want to be like this dude he was able to to come out of san jose and and make it out of there you know what i mean and so i, I always looked at him as a insp inspiration that's awesome. Um, it's great to hear. Um, we're such huge Third Sight fans. Um, we've had Jihad on the show and um, just super into everything you guys have done together. Um, I, it's most evident on like Rhymes Like a Scientist, but um, can you talk a little bit about how you guys would both kind of feature on the tracks? Like Jihad would do a verse and then the scratching was such an integral part of especially the early work um can you just talk about that group and like how that came to be yeah man i mean it was um you know that that was all kind of by accident to be honest um whew, how did we even meet this was like uh i was going to deanza college back then and uh you know i was um i was i was real hungry just to be in a group you know what i mean because i was always just just this, this solo dj and it was always my dream to, to be in a in a in like a rap group um so i was working with different mcs and one of those mcs introduced me to jihad um and i think i'm i, I want to say he he came by the crib and um you know we were just going through beats and and for some reason we automatically clicked right off of the bat um and uh yeah we always had like great chemistry uh and you know he was really really easy to work with like he would always work fast you know what i mean he would he would he would write you know, it would it would it would take him one or two days, and he would he would come back and record, and um, you know, like it was it was it was just uh, like like a uh, little effort, you know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, rhymes like a scientist, I can't even remember. I I know we did that on my four track, and it was just more of um experimenting, you know what I mean? And um, you know, I was I was uh, I was um super inspired also by DJ Premier. So I was always trying to emulate what DJ Premier was doing. And he would always have, you know, his one DJ song on, on every album. And so I always looked at that as like this, 
this gold standard. I, okay, I got to do this. You know what I mean? And so, so I took what uh, DJ Premier was doing and I just, I just extended it, you know? So rather than like a 16 bar kind of solo, I, I just turned it into, you know, whatever it was, 36 bars or whatever. Um, and, you know, it, and just try to add my own flavor to it. Um, but it's crazy, man. Like I, like I remember letting people hear it and they were like, I don't understand what's going on. Why is there so <laughs> I mean, you know, like I think it took a while for, for people to get it, but I think when it came out, it was so uh, outside the box that, you know, like it went over people's heads, you know? Yeah, yeah you, you definitely been way ahead for a, a long time. Can you talk a little bit about like that whole turntablism movement that you're a part of? You mentioned like bringing a scratch solo to a rap song. Um, it kind of seemed consistent with the the scene that was happening at that time in this experiment of like, can the turntable be a musical instrument in the same way that a guitar or something like that is? Um, and you you were right there for all of that. Kind of looking back on it, what what do you take away from that era? Like, what lessons did you you learned about? turntable as musical instrument um man i mean like it wasn't until i seen um this group called fm2o fm2o mm. was from was qbert mix master mike um and they had a couple mcs uh damn i already forgot their names man um it's way back <laughs> and 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 so basically they were almost like public enemy but on on the turntables mm. and uh, the only difference was they were doing all the music live using turntables and once i saw that because i was already making beats on the sampler but once i saw that they were able to use sounds from records and they were actually making music live um then that really set off that like light bulb you know what i mean and so that that really um you know pretty much blew my mind and i was like okay so we can you know we can battle and do all this and and, and show off you know what what technical cuts we have but we're not doing nothing musically really with it. You know what I mean? And why not integrate it? Like this is, this is jazz. You know what I mean? This is like bastard jazz, but like in the modern day era. And so why not take what we're doing with, with, with hip hop and just really taking it further and further, you know what I mean? And that's what FM2O was for me. And they, they kind of showed me the blueprint for it. Um, And so ever since after that, um, like, like I used to always make beats and, and have to quantize everything and make it all perfect. And after I saw that, I was like, screw it, man. It should just be live. And, and then and then when I started listening to older hip hop in the 80s, like, uh, you know, like like a lot of the drum machine hip hop, they were doing all that shit live. You know what I mean? And so that's why I loved it, because there was that humanized feel and it wasn't all just in the grid and, and perfect. You know what I mean? A little bit was off. Um, and, and I think that's what made it beautiful, you know. Right on, man. Thank you for explaining that. Um, you know, you've had such a long and illustrious career already, um, but I, I want to take it back to 2001 real quick. One of the first times I've uh, checked out your stuff was as a wax fondler um, off of Dirt Style Records. And I wanted, um, you know, you guys have so much like pockets of history. Can you let the people know a little bit about Dirt Style, um, how it came to be and sort of what the reasoning for that was? Yeah. Um, so Dirt Style Records was uh, what, what Hubert's label was back then. And it was just like a like a like a label for us to put out scratch records, break records, battle records. And uh, you know, we were always scared of of busted, you know what I mean? Because we were taking, you know, loops from, you know, whatever, James Brown and and you know, um vocal phrases from, you know, too short or, you know, someone and so we were always scared of getting busted for sampling. 
So that's why we would always use aliases. So I was the wax fondler. Uh, Disc was Scarecrow Willie. Uh, Qbert was Darth Vader. You know what I mean? We just came up with stupid names. Um, and back then it was like, um, you know, it was just just a way for us to, to kind of make some some beer money. You know what I mean? And um, and then at the same time, it was tools that that we were using to, you know, to, to do shows with, to battle with or whatever. Um, and we, we didn't think it would it would really catch on. And it, it was just crazy because, you know, we would press up whatever, 100, 200 records. They would sell out quick. And, and then we, 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 we would keep repressing them. And, you know, it was yeah, like we never thought we could make a living off of that type of stuff. You know, and it's very punk rock too. Our, our record covers were, you know, either our, our homies who did graffiti or it was just us doing ghetto style uh, artwork at Kinko's, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. That's awesome. Uh, this is kind of an obscure question, but I don't know when else I'll be able to ask you. So I'll just throw it out there. There's a CD where it's you and Flair, and I don't remember what it's called at the moment, but there's a beat on there early in it, and it really sounds odd and it kind of sounds like someone just like hitting a pencil on a table or something do you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 that, um what is the that he's called pharaohs of funk thank um, you that beat, I, I think the beat you're talking about is this group called dugius from uh, okay. new york but it's like a drummer and he's just kind of hitting the rim shot and uh, it is real drums it is it is okay i've been thinking about this for like 25 years like i just i've, I've always had this picture in my head of what it is but thank thank you for clearing that up i know it's a weird way to use interview time but you know just gotta i i've always wondered about that and the, the, the project is amazing to hear you guys just go back and forth like that was really um you know meaningful at the time and you're just so skilled at what you do it's incredible but yeah man thank you i've just i've, I've literally always wondered yeah, no thank you i i think the way they mic'd it it, it kind of it sound like he was banging on the lunch table. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Oh, that's so dope. Nate is our version of Nardwar. So if you, uh, <laughs> if, if there's some obscurity, he's going to find it. Um, talk a little bit about your album, Phantasmagoria, which coming out of the, the, the kind of turntable is tradition of making actual scratch music. Um, very interesting record. Can you talk about how that came together? Um, yeah, so... I was around um, Hubert when he was making Wave Twisters, okay. and, and so you know, I would I would see how he was working and what he was using, you know, Pro Tools and recording, multi-tracking, and uh, and then that that right there set off another light bulb. I was like, oh man, this is this is crazy, man. This is exactly what I want to do in life. Like I don't care about mm. anything. I want to do this, but I want to make my own version of it, you know. And at that time, I was listening to heavy into like uh, you know Shadow introducing. Yeah. Port- um, you know, um, I listened to a lot of Prince Paul back then. And so I, I tried to to make my own version of all those those groups. You know what I mean? And like, I loved what, Q, what uh, Qbert was doing with, with Wave Twisters. Um, but I wanted to make something that was more darker. And Yeah, I was about to say, yours is, is more of a darker vision than that. Yeah, and, and just more down-tempo type stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's where that came from. And back then, you know, this is before I had kids. I, I had all the time in the world. So <laughs> I was, you know, I was uh, I was a vampire, man. I wasn't <laughs> in the morning and then I would sleep and it, the day would repeat. And I was I was just yeah, really, really deep into finding sounds and and just going crazy with the music, man. Yeah. Man, thanks for explaining that. Um you know, uh, you, you mentioned some of your contemporaries, and we've had Rhett Maddock and J-Rock on here, and 
they've always glowingly spoke about the um, Beat Junkie Institute of Sound. And I wanted to just give you a second just to, you know, to see what your reaction is, um, has been to that whole operation. And, you know, how how is that sort of teaching the next generation? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, like the way that I saw things is like, you know, we used to we used to battle, you know, in our younger years, but you can only reach and get to, to such a level that what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? What else, what else can you prove at that point? Um, and, and so I, I kind of compare it to uh, boxers or like UFC fighters. Oh. It's like, all right, they've, they've won championships and whatever they've, they've got to these, these, these levels. And, and now what are you going to do? How are you going to survive? You know, cause you still want to be in, in, involved with, with, with the culture, but, um, but now it's 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 like let's be trainers now. Let's let's pass on this this art form that we've worked fucking thirty plus years on. You know what I mean? Um, and so yeah, it was like let's let's open up our own gym. You know what I mean? And oh. Let's let's teach the kids. You know what I mean? And and hopefully they'll they'll take this um, and and keep it going. You know what I mean? Um, plus, I feel like technology is is making things a lot easier, which is good and bad. I'm not I'm not mocking it, but it's it's. But I feel like some of the uh, the art form is is lost now because it's there's a lot of autopilot going on, you know what I mean. So, um, you know, the way we teach at 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 the B Junkie Institute of Sound is, you know, we teach them how to drive stick shift before they they learn to drive automatic. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it feels like you've had a little bit of a renaissance lately with your production. Um, I feel like you did an album with Noah the Flood. You just dropped a very good project with Jay Cyanide, like. Um, what made you want to kind of get back into um, producing and work with all these newer different artists? Yeah, um, you know, so like I've always made beats like just whenever I had time, you know, but um, uh, I got I have three kids and um, my youngest ones, they're they're older now. And so they're more independent and they don't really want to hang out with me. You know, what I mean, you know how that is, right? <laughs> Teenagers. So anyways, um, now I have more time. And you know, I've always been a, a a hoarder of 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 sounds, of records, of of certain things, and I'm always putting them away. Like, all right, one day I'm I'm, I'm going to use this for something because this is perfect for for something, whether it be a loop, a, a, a instrumental, or, or it needs an MC on it. Like, I'm always kind of storing things away. And so now that I have more time, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I right, I got I got you know four or five hours in the day. I'm going to make use of this, and and I just. I've been making beats and stockpiling them, but the hardest part for me was finding people to work with. Cause uh, you know, like I'm, I'm more known in the, in the DJ world, but they mm. have no fucking clue who I am, you know? So um, it's almost like starting all over again. And I, I kind of have to, you know, introduce myself and, and tell them, Hey man, I'm, you know, I, I'm a fan of your work. I'd, I'd love to work with you. And, and at that point, it's just a waiting game, you know, like, some of them will hit me back. Some of them won't. But um, you know, I all I can do is try. You know what I mean. But um, like I said, I still have uh, some 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 uh, music ideas to get off my chest. So that's why I'm I'm still here. You know, man, that's that's so dope to hear. And I was uh, an evidence of your your beat hoarding is there's a song on Rap Ferrer's new album, uh, Five Five to the Stars, called um, Lumpiao's Flow, which is a beat that you produced that. Um, to my recollection, has been in existence for more than 20 years. Like, 
I heard the beat and I was like, oh shit, I remember this from a beat tape and it still sounds, you know, super dope. And I'm sure you probably did something to it. But um, yeah, is, is, are you, is some of the production you're doing like from other eras and you're just kind of bringing it forward now? Um, Some of it is just like, if I have the actual file for it, um, like that, for that, that beat, um, luckily, like I had it on a, like a Pro Tools file. Okay. Um, a lot of those beats that I made back in the day were on, you know, uh, this in Sonic EPS, and I don't have that. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's dope, man. And Demo, man, you were you're one of the first dudes that I that I I went and flew and actually did a show. Me, me and you rocked in Seattle. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was like a like a dream come true for me, man. So yeah, that was fun, man. Exactly. That's the first weekend I heard that beat, man. I'm, I was like. D, you you have such a um, a long, varied history in the game. You, you've got all these dope projects going forward. Um, before you let you go, I have to ask. You mentioned having teenagers. Do you ever get hit up like to do the school dance or something like that? Is there an awareness in the lives of the children in your family, like who you are, or is it like this really cool sitcom where you're just like a normal dude, like your neighbors think you're an accountant? <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny, man, because um, you know, like I'll I'll meet the my kids, uh, their, their friends, parents. And, um, like I have been asked like many times, like, Hey, my, my daughter says you're a DJ, you know, would you be interested in doing the school dance? And I have to, always, <laughs> I'm not the best person for it, to be honest. I'm, I'm not really, I'm more of a, and then I have to kind of explain what I do. And then it's always silly. Cause I'm like, you know, do you know what scratching is? And they're like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. They do that, that, that silly, uh, you know, whatever. Wicked, wicked, wicked. They do that. Yeah, so I have to tell them I'm more of that than I am like a actual, you know, I don't play like Beyonce and that type of stuff. <laughs> you should you should show up at the dance and just do a scratch set and see how that how that goes over. Maybe oh, drop there's... Tonto or uh, you know, <laughs> one of the one of the louder third side tracks. <laughs> that would clear the room right there for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey D, we, we want to thank you for coming on the program, man. Uh, you know, it's it's pleasure to see you again. It's been a minute, and I feel like uh, you know, I'm I'm just excited about all the projects that you got coming up, man. Thanks for coming on the program. I mean, thank you guys. Appreciate you guys, man. Yeah, yeah, now check the Time to get all excited, just write it from the inside, let the pen slide and spread the ink on the paper. All right, that was our conversation with the homie D Styles. Uh, so dope to have him on, something we've been talking about for a while. And the saddle Zanus was there, D Styles studying at the foot of the master, uh, peanut butter wolf when the master wasn't home. Uh, I, I live for those type of stories, man. It's like the, the, in, oh, the insight so that, yeah, so dope. Yeah, so I just, uh, I, you know, I don't, we were too young to be friends with them. We were the right age to be inspired by them once they started doing things that were more prominent, right? So this yeah. just like, I don't know if technically by like socio 
economic standards were a generation ahead, but in hip hop, we're definitely a generation behind them. And they were always like setting the pace and doing such cool stuff. And um, that's, that's super cool that it's, it's like, he's like, he wasn't my friend. I was friends with his sister. It's like, it's that real. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I've Pro spoken to uh, peanut butter wolf before too, and he's always given it up to D style. So it's really cool to see, you know, the reciprocation. Um, and I love just when I talk to legends, I'm like, who are legends to you? You know what I mean? And it's yeah. really good to hear that PB Wolf is that dude, you know. And, um, you know, again, um, D-Styles is just so humble. He's just remains so humble. That's probably my favorite attribute about people. And, um, yeah, I think there's a thud humble joke in there somewhere. Oh, no, thud humble. <laughs> See, I'm, I apologize for not title, dude. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, dope to have D Styles on. Uh, be on the lookout. He's got a bunch of production floating around, and he's been doing uh, some dope projects with I with didn't Cart get, Raptors. I didn't get to ask him about this, or I decided not to. I wanted to ask him about the pencil thing. Obviously, we gotta get get to the real issues here on Dad right. Pod Rap Pod. But um, he is such a minimalist. Like, and I think it's, some mm. of his beats are so elegant. Like, it's it's just like it's almost like a call like thing of where it's, making. Just, it's mm -hmm. just like there's four sounds they happen mm -hmm. in different orders but it's so dope like yeah. he's he's so no frills and i feel like mm -hmm. the moment for that kind of came back like he would like i don't think he would have like been a popular hip-hop producer in like the puffy era right. you know what i right, mean right, right, forced right. it like way right. underground right. like third side is like very underground like unheralded even among backpackers right sure way too much and we we talk about that fairly often everyone listen to third sight but um now hip-hop got minimal again especially like yeah. whatever you want to call this kind of like what dj mugs is doing what the alchemist sure. is doing like this is not that Sparse. far from that it's different um but it does have a sparseness and a um a space to it and like i i think his beats without fail are extremely head naughty like you could yep. just like you just you kind of get your neck going on the metronome and it's just like yeah dude this is just this is what i want to listen to and to hear people kind of attack them from a rap sense is is like super fun um i i like the jay cyanide record yeah, a lot. i like it's jay so cyanide as a dude and i like his work and um they, he was nice enough to send it to us a little bit before it came out so i got to listen to it over the holidays and um it's so cool that they connected and i don't know if you guys know this story but um they did a video for the first song i yeah. don't have my note in front of me but um jay cyanide told d styles he's like hey man i'm I'm doing a video for this and d was uh, this i'm paraphrasing a instagram yeah. caption i was not there for any of this he was like i've never been in a video for one of my rap songs like i'm gonna come and he he got on a red eye and he flew Damn. out and he hung out all day for the video shoot and i just thought that was so dope um both for That's each good. other to level each other up and to like collaborate on that uh note and just to be like oh my god d styles has never been in a rap video okay like, this is we're talking this is... about the low lower rungs of the thing here but i feel like you have a story go i i do i do have a response to that um as i had d styles in a rap video in 2011 so nice so not to, not to poke holes in a great story and i know i'm probably <laughs> i'm three levels under jay cyanide but uh everybody go check out timeline gym one featuring d styles um oh, it's yeah. you know I, I but to that point you know jay cyanide is a good 10 15 years younger than me 
and they're still pulling back for D Styles. You know what I mean? I think uh, it speaks mm -hmm. to the timelessness of his work um, and who he has as an artist and like a humble dude. And I do, I'm, I'm fascinated by just how people like that go about their daily lives. Cause he's not famous enough to be like, you know, stopped in the mall famous, but it's interesting to be, he's as good at what he's doing as people we think of as famous and like hugely successful, right? So um, he is the David Ma of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, of his thing. Um, had you ever talked to, to D-Styles before, Dave? Yeah, a few times. I was working on a thing on Dirt Style Records um, for oh, okay. the Music Academy. Uh, oh, you guys did the Third Sight thing, obviously, yeah. Yeah, we did the Third Sight thing as well, uh, me, Nate, as well as uh, our friend uh, JB. And I spoke to D-Styles for um, uh, an issue of Clout Magazine one time. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I didn't I didn't have so, Clout as a byline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I actually reviewed one of your CDs way back in the day for Cloud Magazine as well, Jamal, before we actually, before we met, like, in person. Yeah. Right. Crazy. And, I, and I'm and i still crying. I, <laughs> I, 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 hold that, I hold that review up at night. And uh, no, um, wow. Now I have to go. I'm As soon as we're done, I'm going to get my issues of Cloud. Totally. Uh, I want a screenshot. Oh, man. Uh, connecting the dots here on Dad Bod, Rap Pod, uh, earlier in the episode, side A, we were talking about our, you know, our bachelor pad days. And it got me thinking about um, the food that one would consume during that era, because I kind of think I'm in a weird in-between era. Like, I haven't fully graduated from what I would call a struggle meal or like a stand-up meal. Um, I like your to new place I... has a kitchen. When we first were doing the pod, you had that <laughs> apartment that didn't even have a kitchen. And I was like, what? How do you even eat, dude? What is hey, going on over there? Call me Hot Plate Nate. I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Salad and stir fry. Uh, prison. I got, uh, what was it? Who had the prison cooking book? Prodigy. Was that Prodigy? Oh, Prodigy, the, yeah, yeah. The Prodigy, Kathy and Dolly uh, prison cooking book. Yeah, I was on that for a while and like, but I knew it was wrong. There was a time when, uh, you know, I don't know. I used to, like, think I lived off of three uh, frozen pizzas a week. Like, three frozen mm. pizzas a week, go to mom's house on Sunday, hopefully get some leftovers. Um, but, Nate, you were you always a foodie, or did you kind of have a struggle meal phase as well? No, to total struggle meal artist. Um, I knew nothing <laughs> about cooking until I decided to get serious about it when I met my wife. Like... Um, I, I, I straight up lived off of burritos. Like there's okay. this, there's this, um, <laughs> when I lived in Santa Cruz, it was Vallarta, which is still an active, like kind of small local chain over there. Veggie burrito was like five bucks. You get a chips and salsa, get it for here. And then that's like either one or two, one huge I was going to say, did you make you two don't meals? eat dinner or you take the end, you know, the three inches off the end and have that later. Um, I had that for many, many, many years. And then when I lived on 12th Street on 13th, there was Taqueria Lorena. Hey. And I, I like lived mm. there, dude. Like I ate there so many times that I knew all the people. They, I loved how they did their um, pickled carrots and uh, mm -hmm. jalapenos. Like, really beautiful um, with like big like Mexican oregano leaves and like kept the pickles crunchy. It was like a cold pickle. Mm. I, I still think about those all the time. It's still there. It's just not convenient for me to go there. Anyway, yeah, dude, I ate burritos like yeah. three, four times a week. Like right. Yeah, just all all the time. Um and then yeah, um, you know, it's funny, a lot of my food memories 
um, of living there are about other people making us food. Like, uh, like, you know, people who are, you know, kind of successful in their fields now, but who would crash on our couch would make us food. And like, yeah. uh, my, my roommates would buy food and I would like kind of eat it on the sneak or sometimes be invited. And it's just, it was not a time when I thought about food at all, essentially. And then like, you know, I have a couple memories of going out with Dave and our crew back then and going and eating late night like three o'clock in the morning Vietnamese food and hey. anywhere that was open <laughs> like often we would end our nights with you know a, the, the the drunkest like trashiest meals but yeah <laughs> how about you Dave what was your uh what was your cuisine of choice when you you first flew the nest Oh man, um, frozen burritos, dude. I would get one of those yeah. like twenty packs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Break, they end up breaking down to be like thirty cents each or something. I mean, <laughs> I would totally live off that. And to be honest, if you went into my freezer now, there might be a couple sitting around. Like, dude, um, uh, Lucy yeah. and I kind of reengaged with those during the pandemic. Like, we we needed to get food that would like last. And I was like, yeah, microwave burrito kind of hits, dude. <laughs> Nostalgic for I'll me. Take eight, an eighty pack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm Vietnamese, so I, I never really, I mean, this isn't a flex. I never really had a struggle meal. My mom's always given me food, you know, to right. this day, she still does, but she treats right. me like I'm five years old, you know, so, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, yeah, frozen burritos is the way to go. Man, you know, you, you do what you have to do, you get it done. I, I'm sad to report, guys, as the father of a 19-year-old, um, it's just a lot of DoorDash, like oh. it's a lot of it's DoorDash is making a, a if small I could have fortune. had that back then, I would have definitely right? had that back then. I don't get right. how I would have afforded it, but I would have I would have worked uh, it right. out. I was at right. weed, so I guess, yeah, exactly. I guess I could have had food. <laughs> it's it's a whole niche industry now. Um, you know, even so the, the struggle has evolved. But um, um yeah. Just real quick, this guy Adam, I know he's a record collector. He was one of the biggest Latin uh, record collectors um, in the Bay Area or maybe the world. I don't know. He has great records, great taste in records. Super cool guy. Told me a story once. He lived in Berkeley for college and there was a, I think, Thai restaurant hmm. around the corner from his place. And he would get a side of steamed rice and they would throw in for him if he asked a peanut sauce. And so he would eat a meal for a dollar fifty, and I was like, "That uh, is amazing!" Do. Yeah, if you like could keep like a little sriracha around, like you'd you'd be yeah. golden off that. Like a rice is very filling. I learned yeah. when I lived with Filipino people. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> no, there's no better way to to stretch out a meal. Um, but yeah, you know, we have humble beginnings, and and sometimes I'm back there. I'm always debating on whether like. And my daughters will challenge me on this. What what constitutes an actual meal? Oh, me right? and my like, wife mm. get into this. Yeah, it's I. We have mm. different definitions for sure. Um, it's kind of like food groups, right? Like, like you have to have three minimum. You have to have a protein, some type of vegetable, and a, a starch. fucking starch, right? Yeah. That's like, that's that's what I grew up eating, and like that's what feels like a meal to me. And if one if, of those things is missing, together, or if you just like try to up it's like oh we don't have a broccoli or whatever so i'll just eat more meat it still doesn't feel mm, right to no, me it's not no. about amount mm. it is about like uh, proportion position yep no mm. totally totally dave what constitutes a meal for you because i've seen you eat like four french fries and a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like, if we, we want to be if we want to be technical, and I'm cooking it, like if you guys were to come over and I'm presenting a meal, I'm not going to yeah. give you one of my frozen burritos. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, Sad. Um, so I think um, you know to answer your question, for me personally, what what constitutes a meal is if it fills my belly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So okay. Sometimes, sometimes coffee and a cigarette is a meal to me in the morning. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's a French um, breakfast. But again, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But again, if I was like, hey, come over, babe, I'm going to make dinner. I'm not going to give her a coffee and a cigarette. You know what I mean? So right. um, there'll be a burrito with it. Not until way, way later. I'm doing smoothies in the morning. So I have like a pretty elaborate Ooh. smoothie set up right now. And like it, I'm having to change my thoughts about the meal thing. You know what I mean? Really? Really? Yeah, it's like, you know, like it's mostly greens because I'm actually like yeah. wanting it to be healthy. Some yogurt, some nice, fruit man. sometimes like, you know, you can go like a lemony gingery direction. You can go like a more fruity direction. But like, you know, I like I have like a giant jar that I pour the thing into. It's like if you get the blender uh, vessel filled up to this part, then it'll fit yeah. perfectly in my jar. And I've, when I hit it perfectly in the morning, I'm like, yes, I'm off to a it's good like start today. Um, yeah, you don't have to have the little sidecar like shot glass <laughs> extra um, like when you get a milkshake at an old school diner um and yeah like you know i'll usually drink it before i leave for work or on the way to work i'm just wandering around drinking my giant green jar and i'm like that's a meal and i then i yeah, think you're calling it a meal okay i have to have my food with a vitamin thing that i'm taking and i'm like it does it does work it's liquid but it's food and it's like i mean it's a whole new world for me it's like just like a thing that i am like trying to stick to and it, some days like i make it so good and i'm like that was bomb i actually enjoyed right. it and some days i'm like mm, mm. too much kale <laughs> mm. but you're regular no i feel like uh i feel like it's one of those things where um when i have to cook for other people to your thing dave i really think about that and when i don't i'm like a salad and a couple fries works if it works. You know what I mean? Totally. I, a totally. nutritionist might push back against that. But um, yeah, we hope you guys are all, uh, you know, working on better versions of yourself uh, in this new holiday season. Eating right. Uh, check your colon, guys. We're we're getting we're getting to that age. They sent me a bag in the mail. Told me to poop in it. Send it back. Who's they? Kaiser. Okay. Kaiser Permanente. The fans, Nate. The fans. An anonymous. Just like uh, magazine letters written out. Send your poop bottles. Um, yeah. Literally, literally dropping shit in 2023. <laughs> dropping. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things where that's totally fucking ridiculous, but also like Shit, colon cancer out, is a thing. Yeah, 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 colon cancer is a thing. So, uh, you know, let's let's do all the things that we need to do, gentlemen, to keep ourselves healthy and happy. We're glad that you could tap into the podcast. As you know, we are on Twitter at DadBodRatPod. We are on Instagram at DadBodRatPod. And we are also on Patreon. Bah, 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 bah. Recent uptick in uh, Patreon subscriptions. Thank you to all the Patreons. Um, me and Nate just did a, a good hour on what we're watching on TV uh, for yeah. our latest Patreon segment. Um, and yeah, which is kind of more time than I actually spend watching TV. Uh, so it was <laughs> and for me a small fraction. Uh, yeah, it was very enlightening. Yeah, no, I could definitely uh, talk about that at length. And it's actually funny. I just uploaded it right before we were recording. And I, 
I realized how much of the runtime is of us just trashing that movie Amsterdam. It's, it's hey, so have much, you seen it? It's so much fun to hate something together. It, it is. And I knew you would hate it too. And that's what I love about this partnership. I'm like, oh, Nate would hate this. I'll ask him. Yeah. It, uh, and I did. And then I was talking about it with my wife and we watched it together when we were on vacation. She's like, I didn't hate it as much as you did. And then, yeah. then I'm getting all mad all over again. How come you don't hate it as much as I do? Yeah. Uh, love it. Love is great. Dave, have you seen it? Amsterdam? It's on HBO Max right know. now. It's like uh, Christian okay. Bale, Margot Robbie, and uh, Denzel Washington's son, who's like in everything now. Okay. Uh, it's terrible. Uh-uh. But uh, if you okay. want to watch it so we can talk about it, feel free. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible and terribly entertaining. So it's one of those It's one of those uh, conundrums that we talked about that at length. Uh, yeah, I remember we, we bagged on that pretty good. So if you want to hear those rants uh, and get all kinds of other content, including Nate's radio show, Fly Sporadic, my playlist series, Dems, Gems, and a whole lot more, uh, go to patreon.com slash deadbodratpod. Patreon.com slash deadbodratpod. $5 a month or $51 per year. All right, fellas, um, we got some dope shit in the works. It's it's early in the season, but we on a bit of a hot streak. That's all I'm going to say. We're... <laughs> We're shooting well from the field. We're rebounding. We got dope uh, interviews <laughs> lined up, and we're really excited about what's coming. So, you know, keep it locked every Thursday. Dad Bod, Rap Pod.
Nice. DJ Dista. 